Welcome to the OC24 podcast, where we've taken some of the best talks and discussions from this year's 24-hour conference on global organised crime, which showcases some of the most interesting research into organised crime around the world. This episode is called Intelligence and its role on countering transnational organised crime. Very warm welcome to this panel. Um, so today we will be uh, discussing intelligence and its role on countering transnational organized crime with uh, Mari Abrego, Stefania Bernal and Diorella Islas. We um, were discussing right before the start of the panel that we were aiming for a more, more of a chat and just so just the speakers are able to engage with the audience. So feel free to share your questions uh, from the beginning. And we are actually hoping to get uh, to them pretty quickly after their first round of presentations. So um, please let us know if you're interested in discussing anything specific with them. Um, having said that, I will um, tell you the order of the presentations. We're gonna start with Mario Abrego, then Estefania Bernal, and finally Diorella Islas. I will uh, share a small, um, just a biopic of them very quickly so you just get to know a little bit better about their expertise. And then we, they will start with a short 10 minute presentation, each of them, and then we jump to the Q&A. So um, starting with Mario Abrego, he holds a BA in international relations from the Tecnológico de Monterrey in Mexico City and is currently doing an international master in security, intelligence, and strategic studies at the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom, um, Dublin U uh, City University in Ireland, and Charles University in the Czech Republic. Mr. Abrego has work experience in the Ministry of the Interior, Security, and Foreign Affairs. The issues of interest to him are on the convergence of terrorism and organized crime and international security. He comes with studies in Canada and has been invited to academic and governmental security institutions as a speaker and attendant in Tunisia, Mexico, Germany, the United States, and Paraguay, Paraguay sorry, where he has developed and shared his experience as a practitioner. He also has contributed to articles and books published in the US and Mexico. So Mario, you, the floor is yours. Um, uh, thank you, Anna. Um, First, uh, I would like to thank uh, the International Association for the Study of Organized Crime and Global Initiative against, uh, against Transnational Organized Crime, and my colleagues, uh, Stefania Bernal, Diorelistas, and Ana Velasco. Thank you so much. So uh, I will address the importance of, 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 of value of time for for a strategy in the intelligence, uh, strategic planning, and overview of the intelligence cycle, the methodology to elaborate intelligence products, uh, the factor influencing the evolution of organized crime in Mexico, and is this challenges of the uh, in the intelligence that uh, intelligence must tackle to counter organized crime and some of the best best practices. So, um, one of the most important factors to to consider uh, to consider in the intelligence in the role of intelligence in countering transnational organized crime uh, is uh, is the strategic planning, and 
And in this is regarding security problems, not only in Mexico, but in the world. And one of them, and one of those factors is the value of time. Uh, as you can see in the in the presentation, there are three per, there are three very different time factors, but uh, and all of those three are are very essential. Uh, we have the time of person. This means that uh, that the goals that you are going to propose or to address the problem will be subject to a short period of time. There's the time of government which is basically the goals of strategic planning during uh, one administration of the government. For example, in the case of Mexico is six years. And we have the time of the state, uh, which is a longer, a long-term project, uh, which means that uh, regardless of the administration in turn, the project will continue to be carried carry out uh, for more uh, administrations. Um, next, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, an example of strategic planning in Mexico can be can be seen with the National Development Plan of Mexico, 2019 to 2024, which is intended only for the for the current administration in turn. In this document, uh, the government of Mexico explains what what the priority objectives are. Uh, it lists uh, national problems and lists the, solu the solutions uh, for for a six-year term or six-year administration. Also, we have the, uh, the the Mexican government has the national risk agenda, and actually every country has has one. In the case of Mexico, uh, it's an intelligence product and a prospective instrument that identifies national security risks and threats. In this type of projects, uh, there are several factors that must be taken into account, such as uh, different scenarios that uh, could occur, uh, planning strategies, indicators, mainly those involved in identifying risks and threats uh, the, to determine the priorities. This is that what are the, the main needs, the anomalies, which are constant, and they can be seen normal, but uh, they are not. Uh, the debate of the state that it must establish that it's uh, it must establish that it should be a project of a state, not a project of government. And uh, government problem uh, can escalate to a state one, which happens the same with risk and threats. Uh, also, we have a uh, public policy public policies, which are generally thought of as uh, government projects but become a state project because they are not finished or often remain unfinished. Next slide, please. Uh, in the strategic planning, it is necessary to bear in mind the different dimensions that intervene in the strategic planning. Uh, in this case, uh, we have the causes, effects, and impact. And uh, one of the most important is the decision-making that uh, it should be considered the time as a, and, and the space that uh, have a great influence here, uh, since these types of decisions are usually are usually temporary. Uh, for example, we have uh, the impact of public policy decisions that are generally a government govern, a government problem, but in certain matters they they escalate, they grow. For, and we have the, the case of, uh, of organized crime that, for example, in Mexico has been a problem for more than a hundred years. Um, 
Next slide, please. We have here, we, we have the Italian cycle. Uh, and actually this is used by the Mexican government and actually uh, each country, each uh, uh, security agency has one cycle. In this case, uh, we, we have uh, the, the, the process is the same um, in every country, but uh, some of the procedures usually change uh, depending on the country. For example, we have the, that the cycle starts with the planning, uh, collection, uh, a collection of uh, information, the processing and analysis of this uh, information, the dissemination and exploitation, and the feedback from the decision makers. Uh, the important thing here is to, is to, to bear in mind that uh, that, uh, uh, of the, that the security uh, professional must must to be accurate to give answers to to the readers. In this case, the decision makers. Next slide, please. Thank you. In the methodology, uh, it must to must to uh, one of the uh, the. The key point is uh, uh, that one should take uh, into account uh, for the methodology and the process of intelligence products is uh, to be accurate. Uh, you must answer the following questions before starting an intelligence product, which is what, how, where, and why. And uh, it, uh, it, it has uh, someone. Uh, a security professional has to define the problem, uh, the information uh, of uh, information collection, to visualize and organize the information as well. And after that, uh, the analyst has to generate an hypothesis. After that, assessing an hypothesis, uh, monitoring the, the problem, and test the hypothesis. Next slide, please. We also have that uh, that the development of intelligence products uh, are is, is influenced by the type of uh, of information sources, and in this in this case we have uh, two different um, type of sources, which are the open sources known as OSINT, uh, which it could be found and uh, they can be found in the website. Uh, uh, in social media, we have uh, we also have uh, the closed uh, sources that, in general, are human and are technical, and most of them are confidential. Also, uh, 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 it, it should be made a, diag a diagnosis to to take into account in the, in the methodology. Uh, for example, in this sense, uh, we have to consider the presence and conflicts between criminal groups, uh, crime indicators, attention to certain areas of the country with, uh, with this presence of uh, organized uh, crime groups. We have to consider the, that there are institutional protection uh, networks, which is uh, actually corruption and actions that the government should take. And, and, uh, and also monitoring that. We, we have to take this, uh, these considerations for a diagnosis for, for the methodology, methodology in the, uh, 
when we when it's uh, to be made uh, intelligence products. Next slide, please. For example, uh, here and with organized crime, uh, uh, we should take into consideration that uh, the organized crime organizations are classified by the dimension of their capacity of, of operation. Of course, the, uh, the organized crime groups are illegal crime companies and the maturity of organized groups uh, in the world depend on the systematic use of violence uh, of the group. Uh, Mario? Yes, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to interrupt you a little bit, but um, you've covered uh, the 10 minutes. So we're gonna have to pause the presentation here to move on with the other speakers. And perhaps we can come back to some of the slides later on when we answer the Q&A, the questions from the audience. Is that okay? Okay, perfect. Thank you. If you want, I can see it's like two minutes of my time, so Mario can finish. Um, okay. Then if you guys agree, then you have Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you, you can also have two minutes of my time without a problem. Okay. Okay, so to, to be quick, uh, we have uh, other factors that influence the, the evolution of organized crime in Mexico. We have the lack of education and values, poverty, unemployment, and lack of opportunities, corruption, geographic condition, institutional weakness, and impunity that uh, increase the uh, uh, the level of organized crime groups, especially in Mexico. <laughs> Another one, please. Oh. Yeah, mm, some of the challenges that uh, to, to make uh, in, uh, in the intelligence for organized crime, uh, we have the lack of organized, organized crime groups will always exist. That, uh, it will always exist. However, uh, if uh, they disappear, another criminal group take its place. So the criminal groups are replaceable all time. And it has to do with, and actually the, the existence of criminal groups has to do with the construction of the citizens in, 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 the, in a country, in this case uh, of their values. And we should, we should take in mind that if, there, if there's no a strong, a strong state plant in, in the government, uh, in, in a state, the government has to be prepared for the impact of magnitude and magnitude of any threat. In this case, the organized crime groups, and for example, for some of them, like like the drug trafficking cartels. And, uh, we still have time, or it's fine. Yeah, go for it, Mario. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, uh, and great. And just some of the best practices that we have uh, to to uh, to have to take into consideration for uh, the intelligence to counter organized crime. It's uh, we have to be sure to uh, that uh, we have to impact on public decisions, assessing the economic impact of implementing functional security strategies that it deals with the uh, with the budget of government. Uh, the strategic planning of security issues, which is what I told you, the state, uh, we have to bear in mind that a state and government project that determine priorities, which is uh, causes, effects, and impacts, the decisions that are based on space, time, and situation, and the, there must be an evolution of government strategies to the treatment of the modus operandi of criminal, criminal organizations, that is, that the governments should think about state projects. 
uh, of course, uh, with advice from national security agencies. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mario. I think that was a very comprehensive introduction to the topic, and then we can get into more specific uh, points with, with Estefania and Dio. Thank you very much. So we continue with Estefania Bernan. I will read you a little bit about her, and um, then we continue with her um, with her um, with her talk. Sorry, just a little tired today. Okay, Estefania Bernal, um, since she was a child, she has loved to solve puzzles. Uh, when it came to time, she chose to study international relations, seeking to understand the interactions of actors that produce events that can change our history. She became passionate about international security from a sociological, sociological perspective when she undertook the model international approaches to insecurity at King's College London. After that, while she completed a MS in politics and government at the London School of Economics. She kept exploring the impact of the security policy produced in developed countries um, and in societies of countries um, in, de in, in developing countries. Since she came back to Mexico, she has been researching the role of technology in international security and assessing risks in local contexts for different industries, including the energy and financial. Um, she has also worked for academia and the public sector, and currently she is working for the entertainment industry as security and intelligence manager for LATAM at Netflix. So, Stefania, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Anna, and thank you very much, Mario, for the introduction. I think that uh, that was very comprehensive, and I will try to build uh, on that. And uh, what I want to talk to you uh, uh, today, today is basically uh, about the importance of assessing the local risks in order to produce a good um, product for intelligence and to actually understand how the local crime organizations balance their power and how this, as a result, uh, can be seen in, in, in the transnational sphere when we talk about uh, transnational organized crime. Next one, please, Leo. Thank you very much. So uh, Mario had the chance to talk to you about the intelligence cycle that we use in order to gather information and later on to process it and then to produce and to analyze this information and finally to produce uh, something that can be uh, seen in a, a public policy, for example, or in general that can be disseminated or used in order to do something in very, very particular, depending on the industry that you're working in, right? So uh, if, if, if we talk about the importance of the local, we're going to be focusing more on the part of the collection. And what I want to talk to you uh, today, what I want to talk to, to about uh, today is about uh, these local factors that may affect the intelligence that you gather and some things that you have to take into consideration in order to collect the proper intelligence and to pass it to the other parts of the cycle. Please, next one, Leo. So uh, when we talk about this intelligence cycle, uh, we normally do not think about the importance of assessing or let me reframe it. When we talk about transnational organizations or crime, crime organizations, usually we think that when we, uh, what we need is basically evaluate a country's um, 
intelligence or a country situation or context in order to understand its nets. But actually, it is more complex than that. And it is very, very important that when we analyze uh, the crime in a country, we go and, and analyze it uh, locally. Because locally in Mexico, Mexico it's, a, it's a country that has uh, very different situations depending on the, its geography. And uh, one of them, for example, is the, the fact that some of the crime organizations are located in places or that have they, they have now bases in places that not necessarily have uh, OSIT, meaning, for example, uh, local new newspapers or some sources that through OSINT uh, can help you to gather proper intelligence. So that's one thing. Another one is that in some places where you do have uh, the presence of, uh, of media, for example, local newspapers or radio or, or local TV channels or so on and forth, uh, this media also, ha it's pretty much biased, depending or where they're from. And sometimes if you gather the informa information from there, uh, it is not going to be as objective as it should be. Another factor, of course, is idiosyncrasy. It, it, again, Mexico, it's uh, very big in size and very, very diverse. So uh, the information that you will gather will pretty much also be affected by the idiosyncrasy of the people that live in the place. So if you, for example, go to the north and talk to the people that uh, grew up uh, very, very um, used to see uh, drug cartels, for example, they will think very differently from people that comes from a different state in Mexico uh, where the cartels came afterwards and the dynamics that have that, that they have or they are having with the population are completely different from those that are in the north right another factor which is very important and is uh, related to the last one is uh, the geopolitical context for example uh, in mexico recently we had elections and of course these elections were not presidential elections but rather uh, for uh, we were uh, choosing local government, a uh, local government, and also uh, different positions that are more local. So when when you have elections locally in Mexico, this means that also you will have a very important power rearrangement there. So uh, maybe in a place where you have crime organizations, this also will affect how they behave and how they interact with the government, right? So, for instance, you can have two things. Mainly, uh, one is that they will try to, to to gain the power and to gain to gain or to put in the in power the person that they think they have uh, in control. And another one is that sometimes that or the persons that are in power are going to have a particular preference with a particular crime organization. I mean, this is not. Uh, in general, but pretty much it, it can happen. So this is also another uh, thing that you have to take into consideration when you do uh, the, collection, the collection of intelligence in, uh, in a state of Mexico or even a municipality, right? And this comes, uh, this brings, brings us to the last point, which is the power rearrangement, uh, which is basically repeated in the last point. Can you please give us the, the next one? So. As an example of what I just said, 
is uh, the, the example of the elections in Mexico. For example, uh, if you have one, or if you have two or more cartels that previously used to, to fight after elections, you see that sometimes uh, now you have one cartel that, is, that, that, that takes the control of that place. So sometimes this is translated into less violence. So the fact that you have less violence in a place does not necessarily mean that you don't have uh, a crime organization there. Another uh, thing that you have to take into consideration, of course, is always geography, which is, uh, that brings us to the question, uh, is it sustainable? I mean, if we're talking about a place that is very strategic for, um, for drug trafficking, perhaps this place that now is peaceful after these elections uh, is not going to stay the same for a long time because uh, crime organizations are going to get there and they will try to get control of this place because it is important to transport uh, the drugs to other places in the world, right? And finally, uh, the politics. Of course, uh, you always have to consider if there are some kind of agreements with the local authorities, if we have uh, an, a, a, an election in a place. So you have to consider if municipal police, uh, it's completely clean or not, or if it's better to work with the state police in that case, if the state police is also uh, from or if the state government is, is from a different party than the party uh, who won in the, in the local place that we're talking about, uh, this will also may be translated into uh, trouble uh, for coordinating the actions of mun municipal police or local polices with the state police. And uh, on, in the other case, we have the opposite places that uh, used to have to be relatively peaceful and after elections become uh, more violent because we have more crime organizations. So this, of course, uh, has to do when it has a relation when uh, two crime organizations that are enemies in one place. Uh, maybe, sorry, um, this the, the fact that we have two crime organizations that in one place fight does not necessarily mean that in other place are going to be fighting as well. That's why it's very important to assess always the risk uh, locally, because you cannot generalize when we talk about Mexico, right? And finally, also in, this, in the second uh, uh, case that I, uh, I put here, which is where you have a pretty peaceful place after elections become more violent, uh, means as well that the presence of local crime does not mean that the presence of the cartel itself. Uh, this means that sometimes uh, maybe you think that a cartel has uh, won control over a place because you see a lot of criminal groups doing criminal activities, but sometimes these criminal groups are not necessarily linked to a cartel. Sometimes they do work for the cartel, but they they are not the cartel themselves. So this means that they can switch loyalties as well. So this is something that you should have always uh, to take into consideration too. And uh, finally, when we talk about the this collection or, or the importance of, of, of collection of intelligence uh, in the local sphere, uh, we're, uh, next one, please. We, of course, uh, translated into the consequences of that. And uh, that is why I, 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 I put this last slide, stating that uh, in order to comprehend the interactions of crime 
organizations uh, internationally, it's very important to understand how they balance their power locally. It is always important to take into account the local political context to plan and define how to collect intelligence and to understand in which extent the interest of the sources might affect the collected information. For instance, uh, if you use open source intelligence, if they have any kind of uh, alliance or if they do have uh, some kind of interest with government or crime organizations, you cannot say that the OSINT that you're collecting is going to be always uh, objective, right? So uh, that's why uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the importance of the local today. And uh, this is, of course, to, to always uh, remember, making you remember that uh, wrong information can produce mislead actions because at the end of the, the day, what we want to gather from the intelligence cycle or in general from our profession is to, to, to translate that intelligence into uh, actions, to concrete actions that make uh, the state or uh, the group that we're protecting more secure. That will be it from my part. Thank you. Thank you very much, Estefania. Um, so I hope that it's starting to give some food for thought for audience and perhaps start sharing some questions. Um, we will continue with Diorella now. Um, so you have also 10 minutes, Dio. Let me just read a little bit about you and introduce you to the audience. Dr. Diorella Islas is an international fellow at Women in International Security also known as WISE, and Deputy Director of Strategic Studies at the Ministry of Security in Mexico. She has worked as faculty member in the Countering Transnational Organized Crime Program at the Marshall Center, and as an instructor of Mafia and Organized Crime Culture at the Bader International Study Center of Queen's University. She was a member of the steering committee of the Standing Group on Organized Crime of the European Consortium for Political Research between 2016 and 2017. She holds a PhD in politics, uh, languages and international studies from the University of Bath. For 10 years, her area of expertise has been focused on understanding the expensive process of transnational organized crime and, to, um, and the design and implementation of related national security policies in Europe Africa and the Americas. Um, she did her master's degree in international studies and her undergraduate degree in international relations at the at Tec de Monterrey in Mexico City, just like Mario. So Dio, the floor is yours. Thank you, how are you doing? Um, just a bit of a sec. I'm finishing here. Uh, putting the, the presentation on again. Um, hi, thank you for, for joining us today. Um, I think I'll swap slides. Uh, are you seeing the complete page right now? Yes. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I didn't notice. Um, hi, well, I'm gonna talk about intelligence analysis and the relevance of specialization and um, so we all know this guy, right? And he's awesome and we all wanna be him. But what we need to remember is that espionage is not intelligence. So how do we know that? Well, James Bond per, uh, is part only of one part of the intelligence cycle, although he does 
a little bit of analysis. He is not an analyst. If he was, the movie would probably be over in the first five minutes. So Mario and Estefania talked about the intelligence cycle. We know that before we do intelligence, we need to decide what we're going to do or what we need. You cannot just go and say, okay, go and collect intelligence. First, you need to plan, which is what Mario talked about. You need to decide what you're going to take as your mission. What is it you're going to be planning for? Select a problem, understand it, and then you need to collect information about it. However, even if you have all the information in the world, that doesn't mean you know how to analyze it. And I, I bet you've seen this, these uh, mugs or these coffee uh, cups that says, please don't, don't, don't confuse your Google search with my investigation. Just because we have a lot of information doesn't mean that we're able to analyze it and produce an analytic product. So analysis and production has a complex cycle of its own and it's an analysis is only as good as the analyst himself or herself is. So uh, I'm going to give you 101 tips for good analysis. And by 101, I don't mean 101 tips, but 101 class tips for good analysis. Number one, I'm not sure if you've seen this movie. It's World War Z. Uh, created by Paramount Pictures, uh, directed by Forster Mark. And this is a zombie. So I always like this movie because it, it seems like the perfect intelligence failure. And those of you who read the book can understand why. The first tip is you need to inform, really inform yourself. Just because you think you know doesn't mean you know everything about the subject. We humans like to be biased. This means that we make a judgment of value. And once we've done that, um, we don't really allow for anything else to convert or to be included in our analysis. We decide what is good and what is bad, what we like, what we don't, and which arguments we defend and which we don't. For you, for those of you who are internationalists, you know realism and liberalism. And I bet some of you like one above the other one and you have your arguments, but the ones that differ also have good arguments. So what I mean by informing yourself means go on and check the arguments you like, but also listen and understand those that you don't. Now, once you've informed yourself, ask yourself basic questions. Means what is this phenomenon? What can it provoke? Which are the enablers of the phenomena? Which are not the enablers of the phenomena and fake it to be enablers? What is the history of the phenomena? When it started, how it evolved, etc. Now, the tip number three is answer those questions that are with sourced knowledge. Sometimes, we are asked a question or we ask a question about a certain subject and we already know because we studied earlier or before. Before you say, okay, I already know that. I'm going to skip to the next question. Go back and source the knowledge again because in that period of time, there may be um, new knowledge that you do not know about. So answer those questions, again, with sourced knowledge, not with your own ideas. Next, 
Number four, expand your questions with a how. Once you know what is the phenomena and how it evolved, and you know it evolved in three steps, you need to ask how to those steps. How did step one happen? How did step two happen, etc. Number three, number five, sorry, is analyze and deduce. What does this mean for stage one or stage two or the present? For example, if you're analyzing a phenomena and an outbreak of zombies, and then a researcher says that zombies are not a toxic people, then what does this mean for the armies that are fighting the zombies? Well, if we make the soldiers sick, the zombies will not attack them. And then what will happen if? You need to play with your imagination. What will happen if? If this factor changes, what, what will happen? Okay, it will happen like this, like this, like that, if it's the best scenario, or it will happen this way if it's the middle scenario and the wrong scenario or the pessimistic scenario will be this one. In this way, you will be prepared or you will prepare an analysis that will prepare the stakeholder for the best scenario, for the middle scenario and for the pessimistic scenario. And then they will be able to prepare accordingly. The last but not least, which is number six, I'm not sure if you can see it, but it says, assume you're wrong. For those of you who watch World War Z, you know that there's a rule of the ninth men. In this movie, uh, they say that Israel is the only country that did not suffer this zombie infestation because after all the wars Israel has had, they had this rule in the intelligence cycle, which is once everyone has get to the same conclusion, the ninth man should disagree with them all and explain why all of them are wrong. And they will prepare for that almost pessimistic scenario. And then everything that comes will be less than that pessimistic scenario. What this means for us as intelligence analysts is that once you've got your analysis and you're sure of that, you need to go back and not doubt yourself or your work, but work on the idea that you could be wrong and make another analysis based on the idea that you could be wrong. And that way you will have a full analysis of all the possibilities and circumstances. Now, I'm going to apply what I've just said to you to um, the Project Reconning or Operation Solar. Uh, Project Reconning was um, an investigation and an operation uh, carried out by the US, Mexican authorities, and Italian authorities, US authorities, Mexican authorities, and the Italian authorities, in which uh, they seized 60 million uh, of dollars in the US and more than 40 tons of illegal drugs from one of the Mexico's largest drug trafficking cartels in 2018. This part happened in the United States. At the same time, with the same investigation, the Italian authorities carried out Operación Solare, which marked the relation between the mafia, a mafia group called Ndrangheta and the Mexican cartel group called the Gulf Cartel. This was in 2008. The operation was so successful that the US authorities and the Italian authorities 
prized it as one of the best shared intelligence products that, of, that they had had. Now, what happened afterwards? And this is why the application of analysis is important. Not because you have the information, meaning the existence of Project Reckoning or Operation Solari, and the information that would go on, that the Mexican cartels and the Italian and one Italian mafia group, mafia group were working together. That does not mean that uh, this will continue in time. The Italian authorities, and you can read this in the reports of the, the uh, Direzione Nazionale Antimafia, keep assuming that this collaboration existed until uh, 2015, 2016, more or less. Different, and this can be seen in different reports from DIA and the Direzione Nazionale Antimafia, etc. However, what the Italian authorities did not take into consideration was that in Mexico, the circumstances were changing and the Gulf Cartel, which had had the collaboration with Andrangheta, was no longer powerful because in 2010, another cartel had launched a war against it and it had been dismembered basically. And now it was too weak as to be able to form alliances international. So the assessment of drug trafficking, international drug trafficking that some of the Italian uh, agencies had was misleaded because they were assuming that the situation somewhere else in the world had not changed. This is particularly important because if you see many of the of the um, products in in the media and carried out by so-called investigation journalists or investigative journalists they assumed that the Gulf cartel and the andrangheta had a collaboration already in 2014 2015 just because they can quote or could quote operation reckoning so one thing leads to another which i call the paradox of referencing which is by referencing some things a lot of time, you tend to create the perception that this is a truth a long time, but it is not so. So I think this will be my contribution. Next time you do an intelligence analysis, think about all that, and also think about the timing of your information and assume you're wrong before presenting all your analysis. That's my concluding remarks and I'm open for questions. This is my email and thank you for being here today, every one of you. And thanks Estefania, Mario and Anna for your participation. Thank you, Irina. I'm also open for questions. Um, so let's see if we have you, any. Uh, thank okay. you, Okay, so um, I think we're gonna start with, um, perhaps I'm gonna start with a question of my own just to open the floor a little bit and to see if there's more, um, there's a follow-up from the audience. So my question, since uh, you focused a lot, I mean, you talked in general about the intelligence cycle and how to collect intelligence and which, which are the areas we have to focus on based on your experience in Mexico as practitioners. Um, I would like to ask you, um, considering the last, say, 15 years since, particularly since 2006, what has changed in the production of intelligence in Mexico? Um, not only considering, say, institutional changes, um, for instance, we know how the Centro Nacional de Inteligencia, which is, uh, we can perhaps, you can let us know a little bit more what this change, 
not only of name from CSEN to CNAE and TAILS, but perhaps more specifically about the collection of intelligence, as Stefania was saying, there has uh, the country, some places have changed a lot in the last 15 years um, when the Mexican government decided to um, sort of be more frontal in its, in its fight against um, international organized crime. So what, what would you highlight from these 15 years from an intelligence point of view? Who wants to answer that, Leo? Well, um, Direlo, you want to answer that or Mario? I guess Mario is better prepared for that at this point. Please. <laughs> well, I, I well, do have I'm my thoughts, to... but let's see. Let's see what. Uh, you... I'm not sure. I was thinking about it, but uh, at least what I can say uh, in the last uh, seven seven years that uh, one of the most important issues that has to deal with it, with the uh, with to tackle and to counter the organized crime groups such as drug cartels is the evolution of technology. Uh, at the same time as, uh, as intelligence, uh, intelligence, national security agencies uh, develop uh, its tools, at the same time, the, the organized groups do it. So the, it's, it's a challenge for, for the government uh, to compete with uh, with these organized organized crime groups because uh, their budget is sometimes in some cases it could be superior we don't know but uh, probably that's 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 one of the challenges and at the same time uh, with this uh, okay the, the territory uh, it's it's another case but well th th this is one of the of the points that I, I would say now yes. Uh, I will add to the um, challenges that Mario is talking about. The thing that when we when we think about 2006 in Mexico, we were able to locate the main cartels, and after that, with the frontal uh, fight against them, instead of actually um, making them weak, what we created was uh, that they split it into different groups. So that became uh, very difficult because instead of tracking what six cartels or uh, back then at the beginning, three or four main cartels, now we have to track what dozens of, 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 of criminal groups are doing. Also, we have to consider what is a cartel, right? Because not everyone is a cartel. We have many different groups that are not a cartel, but are are working for a cartel. And as I was telling you before, uh, this pretty much varies depending on the region. So sometimes a cartel that it's, uh, has an alliance with one, uh, with, with a cartel, uh, with another cartel in a, in a state, it's completely behaving differently in another part. So uh, that's uh, a challenge as well. And finally, and maybe Irela can develop on that as well, uh, the importance regarding intelligence is that in, in these last years that you're mentioning, is that every time that we change government, this uh, the six administration, the, the six years administration ends. Uh, when we have a new uh, national development program, sometimes we change the objectives, or of course we all uh, agree. Uh, in in the fact that we have to fight crime and that we, we have to provi uh, provide security for the citizens and so on and forth. Uh, sometimes we even agree in the challenges, 
But what we disagree, if, if, depending on the government, is in how. So, for example, one government might say, for example, Calderon, Calderon government might say, okay, we have to have a frontal fight against uh, the cartels. And then we have another government that says uh, development is a way to create uh, security. So we have to create the conditions for, uh, for example, the poor population to have uh, all their, their, their needs covered so they don't become part of the cartels. And I think that's a, a, another very important challenge that we have uh, to give continuity to the to the plans that we that we develop uh, or or the work that we do uh, in particular in administration. So maybe to improve uh, and to work on the opportunity areas when we change government, but not leave everything that uh, that we did because sometimes we we have good stuff uh, produced within a administration that we tend to forget when we change or we switch government. I don't know if you want to add anything else to you. Thanks, Estefania. So um, going back, first going back to your question, Anna, um, one of the differences uh, between the intelligence agency before 2018 and now is that uh, nowadays they, although it's mostly the same format, they reshaped the structure to be more uh, human security focused. And that's a very important issue because from now, uh, the human security component is very, very important, um, which it was not necessarily taken into consideration as such. Although citizen security is important, human security as a concept, we know it's a very specialized topic. And the fact that we are already introducing it to the intelligence community in Mexico, it's, it's very important. Uh, second of all, yes, as Stefania said, um, there's a factor between if you fight uh, the drug organizations or large serious organizations, they will split into different parts. In my perspective, it's not necessarily bad because once they are splintered, that means that you are able to have less uh, structured and less powerful, um, less powerful organizations. Although there are going to be many, many parts, that doesn't mean that they are equally powerful to those that were before them. Uh, in the particular case, and, and we can see that in Colombia, for example, after the fall of the Cali and the Medellin cartel, uh, there was no more narco-terrorism, as Pablo Escobar once did. Uh, the difference with Mexico, in my perspective, uh, is that once Mexico, um, once Mexico started uh their war it was not equally accompanied by uh, anti-corruption and anti-impunity campaign inside the government which means that nowadays the small parts of uh criminal organizations which are not even cartels anymore feel they are equally powerful and they have the monopoly of violence this i think has a component that there was a lot of human rights uh, fight and it was not particularly um, balanced in protecting the human rights of those fighting criminal organizations and protecting the human rights of uh, the, the criminals and the perpetrators. So that's a difference. Then we have impunity. And last but not least, we have the fact that there are very young criminals right now that because there's a lot of impunity, they already know that they can use violence to have their way. 
So now they are terrorizing the, the society and the authorities, which in my opinion can also be considered terrorism. But I'm just speaking as myself right now, because once a criminal or an illegal organization start using terror means to achieve their goals, I think we could agree that in academic terms is called terrorism. So at that point, I think impunity is a main role, not necessarily uh, corruption, but the impunity that know, knowing that it doesn't really matter how much evil you do, there's not going to be a consequence for it. That is the base of all evil in terms when you have small organizations that are not cartels. And as long as you're calling them cartels, you're having the basis for people to be terrorized. If you start calling them criminals, then the level goes down. But because the 90s cartels and Pablo Escobar cartels are already legendary, it has a name and it has a punch. So one a strategy could be to decrease the level by calling it what it is, a criminal organization, not structured enough to be a cartel. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, sorry, I, I, I just wanted to add the fact that as well, uh, the history of our intelligence agency is also uh, kind of uh, not problematic, but particular. So now when we talk about uh, CNI, we want to forget what uh, the CSEN did or what they say they did. And we sometimes, uh, because there was this discussion about how much CSEN was used for political espionage. espionage. So now when we talk about CSEN, about some people tend to diminish the, the importance of the agency and we do not take enough uh, opportunity of the of the tools that they can provide us with. So that's another thing that I, I think that we should take into consideration that we should be using more uh, the, the information that uh, that the CNI can give us. And that we tend now to not touch because of the history, you know what I mean? Yeah, and building on that, um, it seems that internationally, people tend to blame the intelligence community for failures. However, as we can see with the Twin Towers, even when intelligence can be shouting at, at the people, at the stakeholders, those who do the policies and those who do the actions, that something is going to happen. The fact that analysts and intelligence agencies are preventing or are creating perspective about it doesn't really mean that the government or the organization in place will listen to that intelligence. So for those of you researching in terms of what the intelligence uh, structures can do, always remember that the limits of intelligence rely on the decisions of the politicians. So yes, it doesn't actually give good, good intel, it's mostly gonna be classified. And if they fail, they are, gonna, they are not going to say like, oh yeah, I, I forgot to read that memo, by the way. They're probably <laughs> gonna say like, yeah, the intelligence community didn't give me the memo. Yes, but I will add to that. I, I mean, in, when we talk about the 9-11 uh, attacks, we, we have to talk about the lack of information sharing between the agencies. So that's another thing, right? Like, of course, there was information, uh, but there was a lack of, of sharing that also can be translated into that. 
So that's exactly. why the whole process is so important. I mean, to gather the information, process it, and share it with the persons or the other agencies that uh, can help you to create a more structured, objective, complete, comprehensive idea of what goes, what's going on. And here, I think this leads us to the next question. Like, how do you see AI and machine learning as part of the Intel cycle or changing the Intel cycle? It's a question by Candice Ross. Thank you for your question. Um, I think uh, AI or IA uh, is still at a very early stage. Uh, what I mean is, yes, it's very useful, for example, to, to be collecting tweets or to be collecting information from the media or if you want to be collecting uh, phone calls. However, AI has not yet enough intelligence to be able to deduce when things are a threat or not. Right now you can collect a lot of information. Thankfully, it's still up to the human to decide the relevance and to decide it, whether it's a threat or not. This has uh, its perks and it, has, it, it, it is good and it's bad. Good because that means humans are not yet in the matrix uh, stage of controlling humans yet. Uh, sorry, machines are not yet at the matrix um, movie stage of controlling humans. However, it's also bad because if the analysts are not good, that means it doesn't really matter how much information you give them. Uh, your analysis is not going to be is not going to be really good. And you, all of you, know that the level of the analysts in anything, even this, the level of the students or the level of the people hired in an agency, is only as good as the process of that institution. And that could be biased hiring people that is not necessarily up to the task. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, I, I would like to add to the to the question that uh, in this intelligence uh, intelligence cycle, if not uh, the probably the, the 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 process won't won't change uh, because of the IA evolution. But uh, I mean uh, the. The technology would allow to to make this process to to evolve uh, with the technology. Technology. I mean, if uh, if the process doesn't change or, or at all, uh, I mean the the process as itself. But the way you process the information, it changes. And for example, we have some cases of uh, IA, as you explained, like uh, maybe the way of uh, foreign, uh, foreign interventions of the uh, mass surveillance and the use of drones as well to, to target, uh, to be more specific, to target uh, some, some criminals. Yes, uh, well, I'm passionate about uh, artificial intelligence. And I also think that we still need to develop more, more tools or more intelligence in order to be able to do it. But right now, uh, sorry, can you hear my dogs? They're barking, sorry, sorry for that. Um, uh, but, now, but right now we have some tools that can help us. I mean, we pretty much um, use a lot um, uh, data mining, for example, which can help us to, to prevent risk. We have other tools such as BCC and C that can help us to, to track, to have, or to monitor. I would say that the correct word is to monitor. To monitor, for example, social media, in order to see if there is any kind of activity that might lead us to know if a group is planning to do something in particular. Uh, 
So uh, I think that that's that, that's a pretty useful uh, tools that we have right now. And uh, I, in opposite to the Orella, I think that uh, artificial intelligence is, is is something that we'll be developing in the next years, and that can be very very helpful to us. But at the end of the day, of course, the human factor is very important. And at the end of the day, uh, the humans or we humans are going to be the ones that interpret the information that is going to be gathered, perhaps by the by by an artificial artificial intelligence um, tool, right? Don't take me uh, wrong. I think I think just as you, but but right now, <laughs> right now it's not. <laughs> but the, you know that, that's a problem because uh, technology always brings us to the debate between uh, privacy and security. So every time we're going to go there when we start to talk about technology in security or in intelligence. So at one point we will have to say, okay, is this really helping? Uh, let's talk about, for example, the role of biometrics uh, in in in, in uh, smart borders. For example, uh, are they really helping, or are they just creating uh, irregular migrants that were not there before? And you know, all these kind of things. Uh, when we when we use technology, we uh, always are going to be talking about the consequences that this technology has. And mostly these, these consequences, most of the time, have consequences for people uh, that live in societies that are not uh, developed or that do not have enough technology in order uh, to, to, to have a proper use of, of that, in my point of view. Thank you very much. I have another question. I think um, perhaps we're going to start closing a little bit and considering also that we have an international audience what would be the main challenges and trends for intelligence sharing nowadays? I'm asking this because of what Stefania mentioned before about how difficult it can be also for intelligence agencies to get their message through. And also because then if you don't share it and if the right people or the right country is not listening, then, then the work is not going to translate into actual security for the citizens. So um, what would be the main challenges and trends of, inter uh, of intelligence sharing among countries nowadays? You? You. Good. Um, so for me, it all relies in terms of um, sharing and trust. Trust in intelligence is uh, very important. It's, it's basic. So um, you cannot trust a person or an organi organization you do not know. And by knowing, I mean, uh, you've got one, maybe one scholar that decided to disseminate uh, confidential information. That will mark the perspective that the intelligence community will have on scholars and their, um, their proclivance to work with them, talk to them, etc. It's like if something bad happens, you're assuming that maybe they are all bad or they're all good. And this also happened between services. If a country is listening that another organization or that another country is all corrupted, et cetera, et cetera, uh, an idea or an image start building or is building in the minds of other people. That's, that's de facto. Once you start listening to it, you start creating a judgment of value. So that's part of it. 
Uh, one of the most interesting efforts I've seen so far in terms of the international community, community and security community specifically is the George C. Marshall European Center for Security Studies. It's a joint effort by Germany and the United States. And the idea is to bring together uh, security specialists or security governmental practitioners from all over the world and have them uh, take as participants a course. And they met together, they talk together, and they interact for a couple of weeks. What this does is they bring all of them together to meet in person, to talk in person, and they build trust. I think that's one of the most interesting efforts between academics and the, inter the intelligence security and the security com intelligence community and the security community. It could be the same. Another very interesting effort is a strategic hall on organized crime by RUSI, the Royal United Service Institute, which also holds meeting between uh, professionals and security professionals and security scholars in which both groups interact and give away the perspectives, what they may need, what they may not need. And it's turned out to be quite successful because where uh, practitioners cannot go, normally scholars are digging in. What this means is, for example, a po policeman pro can probably or could probably not go to talk to uh, irregular immigrants that go around in a country, but scholars tend to go and study this precise phenomenon. And they understand the factors, they understand the needs of this particular group or other particular groups of people which, be, which are affected in their human security and citizen security. So this is a very perfect match. So this is one of the very challenges I like to observe for the future will be the interaction between uh, the academic security and the intelligence security. Yeah, definitely. And building on that, I think that it also has to do with trust. Um, we use, usually build trust with time. So we have to have uh, continuity in the projects that we have uh, in, in governments, right? To not change it every administration and to keep something that has continuity in order to relate to other agencies in the world. Also, uh, I would say that another thing that is very important is what we were talking about, uh, technology. And we have to think that the more that we help uh, to uh, other countries to have the same type of technology to help the intelligence process, the better that we can share it as well. Because right now it's not, it's very uh, unequal what we have in the world. So in order to, to be more equal in that sense, we also need to think about how to make this more homogenic, of course, with uh, respecting our diversities, but also with providing the tools that we need in order to, to have uh, information that might be equally good and to have uh, the means to um, share it in a more, um, in, in an easier way. Uh, and yeah, I would like to add that, well, I totally agree with uh, Daryl and Stefania that uh, probably the most reliable uh, on the cornerstone, cornerstone of uh, of uh, the relations uh, between uh, agencies uh, sharing information is uh, is a trust, but as Stefania said, uh, it's 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 probably it doesn't occur in in a short term, 
but in the medium or long term, uh, it depends on the sharing of information of the cooperation uh, between the agencies about uh, if, one infor if one agency shares something to another one, and this another one, uh, this information that uh, goes to, to the uh, another uh, intelligence agency can't uh, build or can't solve uh, uh, cases or, or issues, then they, they another uh, intelligence agency will get more uh, information. So it's uh, it's this, this it's uh, you share and what you share, and to build this cooperation, it's about it's about this, but it takes time, as you said. I think we are about to close the session. We have four minutes left. Uh, so is there any, I don't know if there's any final comment from the audience, any last question or any last bit that you guys would like to add? I think we made a really comprehensive recap of say one-on-one -on -one intelligence from uh, understanding what it takes to build it, then through going um, on the specifics about the challenges of getting, of gathering intelligence from a local perspective, the importance of doing so for not generalizing or not making broad assumptions about a place or any country in general. And then I think that was very clear with the example that Diorella gave of what happens when you do not do the extra work of asking yourself lots of times if you're um, using reliable sources. And I really love the example that she used because she also wrote her PhD thesis on that. So I'm I recommend it for everyone because she she did into zombies. yeah I think she did into a very specific challenge I, I myself on one of my um, MAs I wrote about this agreement between Europol and Mexico and it was based on this piece of intel that was actually not any more valid it was it was old so I think it's pretty interesting to read into the consequences of not doing the cycle properly and not really. Um, second-guessing the sources at times, right? Um, so if there is any last comment from you guys? Well, I'm just saying, concluding and quoting the Marshall Center, it takes a network to defeat a network. And I think the most important challenge is that criminals do not, criminals do not have laws to, that bind them, so they can just adapt to the next new thing. We academics with our theories and uh, law enforcement agencies with laws, we are binded to ideas and we're binded, we are binded to legal frameworks and that impede us to adapt our thinking and our actions as fast as networks are changing. So that's my concluding remark. Well, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so to conclude, um, it's, uh, I, I would say that uh, that uh, about that you all said that the, that the criminal groups uh, don't lose, uh, they they change. So the government, uh, any government in the world, uh, has to think that they have to develop projects for future, not for not for one administration or the following one. They should develop our. They should develop and and think uh, for the future and develop a state project. That uh, in focusing on security, this probably this would uh, enhance the the institutions of of this uh, of this uh, the security institutions of this uh, of this country. Not not only Mexico, but in the world. Thank you.
thank you very much for the session. Have a nice evening wherever you are. Thank you for listening to the OC24 podcast. For more talks, have a look at the podcast feed on whichever platform you use. There are loads more to listen to. Video versions of these talks are also available on the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime YouTube channel. If you would like to share these talks around, we ask that you use the hashtag OC24 and let us know what you think. The 24-hour conference on global organised crime is brought to you by the European Consortium of Political Research Standing Group on Organised Crime, the Centre for Information and Research on Organised Crime, the International Association for the Study of Organised Crime, and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. For more information, head over to oc24.globalinitiative.net. This has been the OC24 podcast from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. Thanks for listening.